the recap, part of Pastoring Out Loud, where we recap the previous week's sermon. We're in the month of December, so the recap is wrapped up in Advent season. Dave, you preached a fourth sermon on Zephaniah. Yes, I did. In an ideal world, would you preach more sermons on Zephaniah or less sermons? If there was no like consideration of the calendar. Sure. And you, somebody just said, you have to preach Zephaniah. Mm-hmm. Would you take two months to do it? Would you take four months to do it? Would you take two weeks to do it? Or is four weeks just about perfect? Five. Five. You'd give it one extra week? Yep. I combined the first two sermons. So when I designed it, I, I preached through Zephaniah once before. When I designed it, then it was for five weeks. And basically this time I put the first two together. Okay. In your first sermon. Yeah. Yeah. Which my son and I listened to the other night. We're listening through them all again. Uh, just uh, recapping uh, what happened <laughs> in a little bit of a short form. And it was really helpful. Mm. Uh, we were gone for that one. I, I listened to it on the road, but it was good to watch and listen again. At a 1.5 speed Ooh. on Vimeo, oh, wow. you get uh, just slightly <laughs> into the squirrel or chipmunk thing, but not, not really. <laughs> but what's really cool about Vimeo is it's a live transcript. Oh. that it scrolls through word by word on the right wow. as you go. So you see the entire transcript, AI generated, of course. Right. And it accurately says everything except for Zephaniah. It says Z. Z? Just Z, the letter. That's mm-hmm. cool. That's a good abbreviation. Yeah, that's it's a good abbreviation. So just so you know, <laughs> listener, you can go back. And especially as we're approaching our next sermon series, <laughs> I would suggest that perhaps you avail yourself. Of that. You mean the word in prayer? I mean, is two sermons a series? He has a title for it. Word in prayer? That's original. No. That wasn't the title. I don't remember what the title is, but that's not it. <laughs> so Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20, uh, lands like... Learning to fellowship with Jesus. That's the title of those two sermons. So Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20... He gets to sidebar, but you lands don't. like <laughs> a uh, not like a ton of bricks. It lands like relief, right? Mm-hmm. For the remnants, the refuge. Walk us through the sermon a little bit. It was a twenty-minute sermon. You know, you you were uh, confined by our Christmas Eve context, but uh, yeah, twenty minutes. Tell us where you went. Yeah. So um, ba- basically, the first couple verses are Zephaniah or God calling us to rejoice, the people of God to rejoice, the people who have humbled themselves, have been repentant, have found refuge in the Lord, have seen that their sacrifice has been taken by God and so they are not on the altar and they will not receive God's judgment. I think that he he gives a few different reasons that they should rejoice. So I talked about verse 14 actually has the most commands in it out of all of Zephaniah, and they're just commands to rejoice, sing, shout, rejoice, exult. Um, and we do that because he's cleared away the judgments, he's cleared away the enemies, he's made it so we don't have to fear because he's with us. And so just talked about each of those briefly, what it means that our, uh, our judgments have been taken away, there's no condemnation for those in Christ, that our enemies have been cleared, that ultimately no sin or suffering or sickness or even death will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ and talked about uh, the ultimate goal. I think of the Bible, you know, I said 
said it a lot during Genesis, but uh, God with his people in his place to enjoy his presence. And that's what, that's what the hope is here too. I'm going to be with you. Um, and then the next couple of verses are about God rejoicing over us. They repeat his presence with us as a mighty savior who will uh, clear away our oppressors. And, um, and then he says that he's going to rejoice over us, exalt over us with loud singing and rejoice over us and sing over us. And that the effect of that is that he's going to quiet us by his love so that our fears and anxieties and our frustrations and our anger and all that stuff that we bring can actually be quieted so we can have rest because we know that our God is for us and loves us and he shows it by his loud rejoicing over us. And then the last couple of verses um, are kind of showing how God reverses things in the world, how he makes the lame and the outcast actually for a name and for a praise and how he gathers in his people and makes them for a name and for a praise. And I say that on purpose. So in Hebrew, there's this thing called a lamed, which means for, um, which, which just turns it into that this people is created for something, not that they're going to have a name for themselves, or that they're going to be praised, but that they're created for a name, which I take to be the name of God because of the reference in verse 12 and for his praise. So that all that God is doing uh, in clearing away the judgments and clearing away our enemies and taking the sacrifice in our behalf and rejoicing over us results in a people becoming more and more like him who are safe in him and live in such a way that he looks really, really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's true theologically or would there be other texts where you would say, um, we receive a measure of praise or glory from God? I do think it's true theologically. Uh, says that. In, where does it say it in Romans? Does it in Romans somewhere? <laughs> it says it in First Peter one. It's in First Peter yeah. as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I do think it's true, and I think there's. And I, I, when I preached through First Peter, I, pre- I when we were three campuses in one church, I preached that sermon in First <clears> Peter and made the. I know. I, <laughs> I did it on purpose. <laughs> I just knew you couldn't help yourself. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I actually made the argument that it was us receiving the praise there. Uh, so I do think it's theologically uh, possible and, and not in any way, you know, a, a no-no to say we never receive praise or glory or honor for who we are in Christ and in the just way not, that we just can. Just from this text. Yeah, and I think it's just really clear because of the, the Lamed. So I thought of, um, so tying this in with Christmas a little bit, uh, the prophecy of Zechariah from Luke 1. Yeah. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us and the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Yeah. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him Mm. all our days. The restoration of Israel um, has built into it the actual salvation from those that hated Israel. Yeah. Uh, Ultimately Satan. Yeah. But anybody that acts as his vassals uh, here on earth as well, that that is true eschatologically, not always worked out here in reality. Sometimes though, certainly saw it, um, you know, in the story of the Maccabees, you know, you see it in the, in the story of the early church, you see Mm -hmm. it, you know, at different points throughout history, you know, all the way back, you know, 
uh, you know, God's people being saved in the Exodus and other mm-hmm. things like that. So there's a there's a reality here that this is not only existentially felt, right, but actually plays out in reality, such yep. that yep. in the reality of the new heavens and new earth, all of this comes to absolute fruition That's right. That's for God right. and His people. Yeah. Nick, any reflections on the sermon? <clears throat> I mean, I used to. You said that there's might be a group of people that was there who thinks that God just like tolerates us. Mm-hmm. And then you're confronted with a text like this and you're like, whoa, you know, I used to be in that camp mm-hmm. in my, you know, early days mm-hmm. <laughs> of being restless and reformed and, you know, really, really about the glory of God and his praise and his, you know, mm-hmm. everything is his centered. So that meant that like anything about like us being rejoiced over mm-hmm. or anything like that just really felt to me man centered. Mm. So a promise like this, I mean, it just like smacks you in the face. Mm. If that's what you're believing, how do you, <clears throat> so like what steps then are necessary? Cause this is for like, this is an old Testament book, the people of Israel in a specific context, what steps, you know, if any need to be taken to properly apply this to us in a new covenant context, you understand what I'm saying? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, I think Daniel just did some of the work, uh, and you know what he said before. But I think that um, when we look at what covenants are, right? They're they're God relating with His people with certain promises and certain conditions along the way. And as we would look at a promise like this, and uh, Say what, what what happens in the new covenant for the new covenant people of God? Mm-hmm. I think that what we'd say is well, the condition is faith, right? Even if we say that God grants that faith, we'd say that that's the mm-hmm. the condition. And then I think we go to places like uh, yeah, like Romans eight. There's therefore now no condemnation. Uh, we could go to uh, a, you know we go to, we go to a bunch of different texts where it says that he relates to us like a father that he sees us clothed in Christ's righteousness, um, where he stoops down to wipe away every tear from our eye, where he intercedes on our behalf. You know all these things to see a very engaged, loving, uh, triune God working for our good, caring for us, uh, like a father cares uh, for his children. And there's all these different pictures and say, uh, we have even greater promises now. Uh, mm-hmm. We have an even greater sight of the fulfillment of what's coming, like Daniel said earlier, that should make us see uh, our God as all the more for us than mm-hmm. probably Israel could even see, yeah. and the promises to us even greater than even Israel could maybe imagine at that point. Yeah. Um, so something yeah. like that. Yeah, think of like... Uh like even John 17. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. Where yeah. Jesus just talks about how yeah. God loves us with the very love that he loves yeah. his son. And he wants us to have his joy fulfilled mm-hmm. in us. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. so yeah, I'm just thinking like biblically, theologically, like, yeah. you know, yeah. taking promises to Israel yeah. as the people of God and now fulfilled in Christ. And yeah. every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Yep, yep. So, but as is so often the case, the new covenant heightens. Yeah, you know, yep. heightens what was there. Yep, that's right. <laughs> so like even, you know, like the Sermon on the Mount, you know, don't murder, but I say if you yeah. have anger, you've committed yeah. murder in your heart. It's heightened, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Same with like 
God's love. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah. it also helps re not reinterpret or recontextualize, but uh, show the intended meaning yeah. behind mm-hmm. some of the older covenants, like yep. you know Romans four, uh, you know that Abraham <clears throat> would inherit the world. Right. There's nothing in Genesis that says that he would inherit the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing even in the prophets that say specifically that Israel, the descendants of Abraham, would inherit the world. There is stuff about the saints inheriting everything, texts like Daniel 7, Daniel 12, portions of Ezekiel towards the end, etc. but nothing about Israel specifically as per se. So when we get to the New Testament, we see some of these things, it helps us like, yes, rightly interpret the Old Testament Mm-hmm. Without ignoring the original context, yep, right. yep. means, but actually like seeing what was the meant, which is where our next sermon series is going to go <laughs> so much in not uh, sermon duology, but series. I don't think you can call well, it and, two sermons and it and it does help series. us like appreciate the whole Bible absolutely. And I think I mean that it really is what I think. I think what Revelation mm-hmm. will help us do is to realize that it's. You know, as we read Revelation, what we're really doing is going back to the Old Testament, often for the the pictures and the symbols and the realities, and actually right there on the spot, kind of seeing them uh, interpreted or progressively seen in the New Covenant and what what that yeah. means in that yeah. moment. So, I think I think that yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good question by Nick um, because I remember I don't, I'm sure you guys remember this with the Roshi, but he always said you know. We want to go back and we want to see the original context. We want to take the the Old Testament context for what it's for, you know, for for where it's at in that time and that period, and then we want to look and then we want to put it through the lens of Christ and say, how does this now get heightened mm-hmm. and escalated mm-hmm. uh, and fulfilled yeah. in Christ in the and in the people of God now? And so I think I think it's always a good question to ask. Helpful. Yeah. Agreed. We're looking forward to uh, our sermon series on the word and prayer. Yep. And then January 14th, starting on uh, the book of Revelation, God willing. Yeah, it'd be great. It will be. All right, thanks, guys.